Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by the new Squarespace. Squarespace introduces a new content management system, making it faster and easier to create a high-quality website or blog. Plus, they now offer mobile responsive designs with automatic device scaling and more than 50 other new features. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, just head over to squarespace.com slash twip and use the offer code twip. 11. This week on TWIP, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter look to add exciting new features. Nikon introduces the D5200. Canon announces two new stabilized L lenses and an interview with model Jesse Diol. It's Wednesday, November 7th, 2012. And this is TWIP. And welcome back to another episode of TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Here's what's ahead on today's show. We're going to be talking about Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The uh, You know, those three services that you probably use a lot. They've been adding some interesting new features that might affect photographers. So we're going to chat about that. Also, Nikon um, has introduced the D5200, their D5200. And I know uh, Doug's going to want to talk about that a little bit, so we'll dive into that. And also, two new stabilized L lenses from Canon. And uh, we've got an interview with a model that uh, is going to give you some advice on how to handle models when you're using Model Mayhem. So it's a really good discussion there that I had with Miss Jessie Dior. So joining me to discuss these topics and more are Mr. Doug Kay and Mr. Dave Dugdale. Hey, guys. Hey. How you doing? Good to be back. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. Where where you been, Doug? Uh, I've been. I was looking at it. I was. Uh, let's see. The last show I did was about nine shows ago. So I've been busy. Lots of photo walks, of course. Workshops, both uh, you know, leading photo walks and joining photo walks, doing competitions. Covered the Blue Angels for three days. That was a nice one. Uh, dealing with my D eight hundred E problems and struggling with the D eight hundred versus D six hundred. So, uh, well, yeah, wait, so give me, you got to give me the, the gist on that real quick. We, we'll talk about it a little later when we're talking about the Nikon stuff. But last I heard was you were, you were not happy with the D800 and you were going to roll back and then you decide to keep it. What's going on? Well, I mean, I have the ultimate answer, which is both. Oh, oh, you got <laughs> so, it like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, that's, that's, but there's a lot to it. And I think Scott Kelby posted an interesting, uh, opinion about the 800 versus the 600. I think he was exactly right, and uh, we could talk about it as much or as little as you want. But I, I think I have a pretty good grasp of it now. All right. Well, cool. congratulations. If Thank so, you're gonna you. so we can see you carrying around two bodies around. That's that's basically no, it. no. It, you walk out the door. You pick the one. It's very. I'll give you the simple clue. If you're taking the tripod, you take the D800. Oh, okay. Huh. Got it. It's your medium format camera. Okay. It is. It is. Excellent. All right, Mr. Dave Dugdale, what's going on in your world? Uh, this week I've been working on a passion project that I've kind of been working on and off again for oh, quite a few months. Um, it's kind of interesting. I, I need some experience in like promo videos. I want to get better at, instead of just slapping music to my videos, I want to like start telling a story. So I approached three local photographers um, many months ago. 
And I said, I'm going to do a promotional video for you for free. And I interviewed three of them. I just kind of went, had coffee with, with each one of them, sat down with them and tried to figure out what their story was. And I ended up picking one and I just been kind of working, you know, as time allows kind of on and off, um, on this kind of passion project. Um, cause I want to get better at storytelling. And, yeah. um, I think from a photographer standpoint, I, I want to tell a story in such a way where, cause if you hire a photographer, like, you know, when our family went out to Maui a couple of years ago and we hired a local photographer cause I wanted to be in the pictures mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> When I did it, you know, you know, we hired this person, didn't know the person at all. We got out there and it, I don't know, you feel kind of um, vulnerable in front of the camera because mm-hmm. you don't know the person behind the camera um, when you're in front of it. So I thought it would be kind of neat to do a kind of a promotional piece where um, you could get to know the photographer really well and maybe not even talk about photography so much, but maybe towards the end of the video. So that's kind of what I've been working on a lot you know, this past week and I've learned a ton. It's, it's just a great way to do it. And perhaps, you know, if it comes out really well, maybe I'll make a course on. How That's I, what I was going to say. It sounds like a, sounds like some course content there. And you, you launched a course recently. How, how was that going? Great. It's better than I expected. I'm really happy. In fact, I'm starting on my next one right now. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations. Do you want to, you want to tell folks what that is and where it is? So maybe they can go check it out. Oh, on my site, learningdslrvideo.com, I created this uh, in the tab. There's a top tab that says the store, and there's only one product right now, and it's kind of you know, getting started on the Canon T4i 650D uh, in video. Um, so it's only video. It's kind of all the stuff that the manual doesn't cover because the manual is very biased towards photography and really has one tiny chapter on video, and they just leave out a ton of stuff. So um, I go through a bunch of examples, and it's like a three-hour-long course, and yeah, I had a, fun, a lot of fun making. I'm getting some really good comments back. That's good. Congratulations on that. And Thanks. then I, I, we're we're partners in in crime because I launched a course as well a couple of weeks ago called Essential Web Marketing for Photographers. Yeah, I saw that was great. Yeah, yeah, it's going that that one's going like gangbusters too. It's it's a. Uh, it's amazing at how many photographers need to know about this stuff. And I'm what I'm going to do is for the Twip audiences. Was thinking about how I could how how I would make it available to the Twip audience. So I'm just going to I'm going to put a discount code in there for the Twip audience to get 50 bucks off of that course. So if they go to essentialwebmarketing.com/twip and use the code twip, it'll uh, it'll knock 50 bucks off the the $147 price um and knock it down to 97 bucks. So definitely check that out. And let me know Twip listeners if you if you end up getting a course, let me know what you think about it. It's uh you know, I love this stuff. This is the the other half of my brain is marketing and that kind of thing. And the, I guess I have three halves of my brain. Is it three? Three. <laughs> my brain is in thirds. There's no such thing as three. <laughs> so it's one third is photography, one third is marketing, and then the other third is, I guess, podcasting and this kind of stuff. So. I heard I heard that you're also doing a uh, workshop at Brooks. I am. I am. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes. Uh, well, tell, tell us about that. I'm doing a workshop called the Amazing DIY Photo Workshop. It's going to be December 1st. It's one day for $199, including lunch, down in beautiful, sunny Santa Barbara. And uh, what basically what we're going to do is... I'm going to take the challenge of showing people how you don't need a gazillion dollars worth of camera gear and lighting equipment and software and all this crazy stuff in order to get images that look comparable, if not even better in some cases, than what you see on the cover of magazines. So we're going to build our own light modifier in the class 
uh, everyone will build their own light modifier and take it home with them. Then we're going to shoot a model using the light modified with that modifier, and then we're going to retouch it. So we're going to go from we're going to build the stuff to take the photo with, and then we're going to take the photo, then retouch it, and end up with a finished print. So cool. Yeah, Very it's cool. going to be it's going to be really cool. Yeah, and one of the people in the class will walk away with uh, with an eye acrylic. I think it's eleven by seventeen, uh, half inch thick acrylic aluminum backed print <laughs> that they can uh, you know they'll be able to order it and, and take it with them or order it and have it sent to their house so yeah it's uh, it's it's gonna be a good time I'm looking forward to hanging out in Santa Barbara with a bunch of people and and making stuff and playing around with photography it sounds like fun yeah, yeah. so I'll link I'll link over to that in the show notes or just go to you know just search for Brooks Frederick workshop and you'll find it so. All right, guys, let's jump into the news. There's a bunch of stuff going on. The first thing that I want to talk about is Instagram and their new web profile. So if you, you guys you guys use Instagram, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So we know that when Instagram started, you take the picture, you share it, and other people that have subscribed to you or that have friended you through Instagram can see the image. And there's a web component of it as well. So if, if you share it online, they click on the link in Twitter or whatever, they can see a page with that image on it. And comments and that sort of thing. Well, they've Instagram is. I think they've launched it, or they're about to launch web profiles, which will give you a full Facebook-like profile around your your Instagram account, which is which is kind of cool, kind of like an aggregation of all your images there and all the comments and friends and all that cool stuff. So, Doug, I want to throw it to you first. Is this something that you're going to use? Because I know you're big and hot and heavy into iPhone photography and leading photo walks and all that stuff. What do you think about this? Uh... I'm well. Actually, I'm not a big iPhone photographer. You're not? No, I'm not a big, big. Oh, because your time is spent with those gigantic, you know, Godzilla cameras, cameras. (laughs) and you know, heavy backpacks, and you know, I've got a Sherpa following me, and all that stuff. (laughs) But um, you know, I'm first of all, yeah, they're rolling this out over the next week or so. In fact, I just checked today, and my profile is not turned on yet, but some of my friends' profiles are, Mm -hmm. and it's basically, I think, it's just Instagram.com slash followed by your username is pretty much the URL that you use for this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, well, I have more questions than opinions about this because (laughs) I, you know, the whole relationship with Facebook is, is still a little bizarre. They made a pretty big deal about keeping Instagram relatively separate. And it seems to me that the value that, that they're getting with buying Instagram is combining them. So I don't really understand where they're going and why I would, what would be the benefit so much of having a separate Instagram page and a Facebook page. So, so you're, you're thinking that Instagram should be absorbed into the Facebook Borg and it should just become another tab or something in there, right? Well, I mean, isn't, isn't that what we sort of expect from Facebook at least? Now, yeah. if you're a heavy Instagram user and not a Facebook user, then you probably want to stay away from Facebook like the plague. Mm-hmm. But, um. And I think maybe that's where they're going because remember they were, people were, the backlash was, oh, Facebook bought Instagram and now they're going to kill right. it and, and or bastardize it in some way and it's going to be less than useful. We need another photo sharing service. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just sort of curious and, and, and maybe Dave has a – or you have better opinions about it. I'm just sort of scratching my head over it a bit. I don't know, Dave. What do you, what do you think? Is this a good move for them to sort of keep, keep the services separate or should we – should they put the peanut butter in the chocolate? <laughs> I'm kind of scratching my head on this one too because, you know, several times today I, I tried – because I – I was one of the very first people to sign up for an Instagram account um, when it first came out and I tried it and then it just didn't stick with me. And then I would try it again, like six months later, it still didn't stick. And 
then, you know, your, your story came up and was like, all right, I'm going to try it again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm, I'm actually looking at Nicolzi's, um, uh, webpage on Instagram and it looks really nice. And I wanted to try to do something similar and I can't seem to do it. So I'm guessing I don't have, it's not rolled out to me yet. Yeah, but, mine, uh, mine isn't rolled out either. I, I have no idea what the, maybe it's a, it's they're they're waiting it based on how much you post on there, uh, which means yeah. Doug, you probably won't ever get upgraded. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but it's gonna be my, a while. <laughs> but for me in my life, you know, I I use Facebook a lot, especially for a lot of my personal photos, and I do take a lot of pictures with my iPhone because um, I can share them so quickly. You know, my kids at school or whatever they're doing, and I can share it with my wife or. I can just send them, you know, message them, and it's great on Facebook. But Instagram, I just, I, I haven't really gotten into it. I've tried several times, but it just hasn't stuck with me for some reason. I do like the fact that they're doing these profiles on the web because, you know, like for me, when I do something, uh, like I'll upload to Flickr, um, for instance, but I don't really like to consume the pictures so much, especially if it's a good quality picture on my iPhone. I would rather look at it in kind of this nice format where you have lots of room for the photos to breathe, I guess you could say. There's a lot more space for them. Um, um, so I don't know. I think it's, I think, you know, places like Instagram need to be everywhere. In fact, it should be on our TV too. Mm. They should develop an app for that. So this should be everywhere they can possibly get. It's kind of like the the Netflix model, just anywhere we can be, let's go there kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, so I, agree. I think it's I, I think it's good for them. Uh, yeah, I agree. I I, I would love to because we have we have Photo Stream, we have Instagram, we have you know Facebook Photos, we have all these different places where the photos can go. I don't know. I I would really like, I agree with you, Dave. I would really love to have a place where I could just okay. This is the one place where all my photos go. If you want to check them out, they're going to be there. And if I want to see Dave's, then I'll go to I you know I'll just go search for you and find all your photos. There are the ones that you choose to share. That just one service to rule them all instead of these sort of competing fragmented services. And it seems like there's a new app that pops up every day that does cool things and allows you to apply filters and all this stuff to your images and but they want to keep you as the user and grow their user base so <laughs> yeah and they're competing against themselves you yeah. know facebook owns it right they bought them what for four you know gazillions of dollars or whatever mm-hmm. it was yeah. so they're competing against themselves i i i'm like doug i don't quite get it well on the, on the, and on on the, the other hand go, i have go ahead, i have friends who are just fanatical i mean i have I have some friends in the local photo club who have given up their DSLRs, who shoot exclusively on iPhone, who do gorgeous, gorgeous work. And um, it just shows the variety of things that are out that are all under the umbrella of photography. Is that, I mean, is that realistic though? I mean, I, I know that the, the iPhone camera is great and, it, and it's highly capable and, you know, many people sit, go and go as far as to say that it's replacing the point and shoot, which I agree with. But... To say that okay, this is now going to replace my DSLR because I'm a I'm a huge shallow depth of field and you know I like my lenses and I like to I like to control things with the iPhone I have no control I have one lens on there it's it's you know relatively wide angle and that's all I get is that is that a good thing I don't well know. you know let me let me mention this related story that we've got in our our notes from the show and that yeah. is um, what what's happened with uh, Hurricane Sandy and Time.com, Time Magazine. And this is a fascinating story where Time Magazine hired, I think, five photographers to go out and cover Hurricane Sandy with iPhones 
upload the images on Instagram, uh, and then the editors at time.com posted them on their Lightbox, which is a feature of their website. And one of the images even made the cover of Time magazine. Hmm. And um, so, you know, that's the whole other side of this, isn't it? I mean, this is this is not your – and some of these are very good photographs. There's one that actually cracked me up. I was looking through them uh, this afternoon. You remember the Cartier-Bresson uh, image that's used to talk about the decisive moment, the, the guy mm-hmm. just about to step in the puddle? Yep. There is an image captured on iPhone during Hurricane Sandy that's essentially that same image. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> And it is, it is, you know, it's sort of an in-joke for photographers, I think, or photo critics. But, um, you know, this is a, a fascinating situation because it's not so much about Instagram and social networking and all that. It more relates to the sort of the CNN, um, what is it called, I? Uh, I, I, I reporter. I reporters, yeah. you know, things like this. So basically you've got traditional media sort of coming in and saying, how are we going to leverage social networking, especially when it comes to social media? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's pretty interesting because they got some good coverage uh, in still photography of an event that uh, – oh, and of course, they're applying their editorial process, their curatorial process. So the time editors, you're not just seeing, you know, 100,000 pictures of Hurricane Sandy and, and lots of big puddles and waves. You're seeing really good stuff in, in a very short period of time. Yeah, and I, I'm not arguing that. I mean, I, the, the whole just-in-time photography and crowdsourcing of photography and all that, I think that's, yeah. that's an amazing direction for things to be going in. But I'm thinking down the, the, the tangent of, okay, you were saying that some people are, are ditching their DSLRs for iPhones, you okay. know, and using that. I'm thinking, that, like, how if I want a 50 on there, I want my background to go to mush. That's not going to happen with my iPhone anytime soon. And there are people, people who are do, just doing purely creative stuff that don't, that are not, you know, hardware geeks um, who see it as an escape from all the stuff that you and I love so much, <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, you know, you don't like, you don't, what's a, what's a lens, you know, what's yeah. a 50 millimeter, you know? So this yeah, is they're, something, they're, something magical they're, about that simplicity. You know, it's just, you hit the, you hit the button, you launch the app and you got a button to push. That's it. Right? There, there are people out there who aren't the same as you and I. Yeah. Amazing. Just amazing. I know. Dave, what about you? How do you feel about this whole thing? Do you think the world is going in a direction like putting on your video hat and shooting digital video with a, with a portable cell or a smartphone like an iPhone or Android device, do you see one day where that might be a primary way that you're capturing imagery? Eh, I wouldn't say in the next, it, it wouldn't be for a long time. Cause I'm like you, I, you know, getting that shallow depth of field is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, although I did, uh, I did a video oh, it was like two or three weeks ago where I, I was doing my first photo, uh, food shoot. And, um, I just put my iPhone in the car and I was driving down to the shoot and I was just explaining, you know, where I was going and stuff like that. And I got there, I set up the iPhone and put into a time lapse mode and I took a time lapse of me taking the, the pictures. And then as I was going through, I showed the actual pictures of the food shoot. And then at the end, on the drive home, I just talked about what I learned and stuff like that. So in that case, I, you know, I think the iPhone's great for, you know, those little documentary type things where you don't want to set up an entire camera type system in your car you know it's it's just a nice portable type device but i don't think pros are going to ever go that way really not for a very long time because i think it's the glass i mean Mm -hmm. you just can't you know the glass that's in the iphone is 
you know, there's not much there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. And then the, the other thing I wanted to put to, to both of you guys is the, the idea of filters. Now, I, I shot a Instagram photo a while back. And listeners, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm just Frederick Van. Um, but I shot an a image and I posted it. And I thought it was a pretty good image. And I, I applied some one-touch filter in Instagram to it. And somebody online said something like, oh, great, great photo, Frederick, except for the Instagram crap you put on there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, of course, it's a troll, you know, somebody in their mother, their mother's basement or something. And I'm like, you know, I, you know, I was just playing around trying to share an image. And I just I did this one click thing. I thought it was cool. And I put it out there and, you know, people hammer on it because it's like an Instagram stigma now. You're not a real photographer because you're doing this one click stuff. You have to at least spend an hour adding filter effects to it if you're going to be a real photographer. So I want to put it to you guys. Like Facebook has added photo filters to their prime, to their, their mobile app, right? So in this, in our notes here, we've got 14 filters listed that they've added in there. Some of them are adding contrast, cool, light, emerald, bright, golden, rouge, cream, etc. coffee, all these different, these different filters in there. And Twitter is going to be allowing people to do the same thing to images that are uploaded to Twitter. So in, in other words, bypassing Instagram or doing the Instagram thing. So my question to you guys is from a professional photographer standpoint, adding these one click filters, is it, you know, I don't even know how to pose a question. Is it cheating? Is it, you know, you're, you're not doing the, should you be t- putting more effort and in, in tweaking dials more when you're posting these images or is the one click thing good enough? I don't know. Dave, what do you think? I personally like it in terms of um, giving you ideas of what you could do. Um, some, you know, but yeah, I don't know. It, it just doesn't, I don't like all the filters. Sometimes I'll go step through like all 14 of them or how many they are. Mm-hmm. And I'll get to the end. I'm like, nope, none of them work. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of thing. But um, it's kind of like in video where you can use different plugins. Um, like Magic Bolt Lux has a bunch of different things where you can, just go in there and, and kind of scroll through, you know, just hover over the um, the preset and just like in Lightroom and you can see what it's going to look like. And you're like, oh, that's a really good starting point. Yeah. Um, so I like presets that way. But of course, when you do it with, you know, Instagram or I guess now Facebook, um, you don't get any control over it. You just apply it and you're right. done. That, and that's thing. what I want. <laughs> I would love to be able to, I like the some of the effects that you could click them and say, yeah, that's close, but it needs to have a little more saturation or a little less saturation or we, you know, to, to have them, in other words, if these, if these one click filters perform the same way as presets in Lightroom, where the, all they're doing is, ter- is presetting the sliders in a certain location. You can go in and, and tweak them later. I think that would be that would be awesome if we could do that. Doug, what about you? you wh- where do you fall on the whole preset versus real photographers turn dials thing? Well, I, I know that it, at least one of us is going to start getting email about this, and we could do a whole show <laughs> on this it's subject. It's inevitable, dude, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's uh, so much to say about it, but let me give a couple thoughts. One is... Wh- I'm not sure that most of these things are designed to create photographs that stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are two ways to do it. One is these effects are, in fact, making a lot of not very good photographs look pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't and, in itself a bad thing, Which right? is fine, which yeah. is fine, you know, especially in the social, social media world where mm-hmm. somebody takes a photograph of something, slaps a filter on it, and someone says, oh, that's sort of a cool picture. Uh, is it a picture that you would print and frame and keep for a few years on your living room wall? That's a totally separate thing. On the other hand, I have seen people who are using 
you know, canned filters to do some very impressive stuff. But these are people who are accomplished photographers who are selecting their filters very carefully and know exactly what they're doing. They're not, it's not serendipitous. It's not an accident. They don't just try a filter and say, done. They're working hard at it. So, you know, the whole range, I have a feeling that years from now, we'll look at this sort of the way we're starting to look at over the top HDR and say, you know, boy, I'm getting tired of that stuff. Yeah, and we're going to get tired of filters the same way. Hmm. I mean these these Instagram type filters. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah. So who are, who are you on Instagram, Doug? Uh, I'm supposed to be D K A Y E, but I don't have a profile yet. <laughs> All right, but so they can work. find you on Instagram. But by. I did. No, based on what Dave said, I looked at Nicolzi's page, and uh, uh, it was interesting because they call it a profile page, but it's really just it looks sort of like a 500 px page. It's just you know Nicolzi and her. You know, eating know, spiders. Five, you know, <laughs> yeah, eating spiders and you know, five thousand of her best images. You know, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, she is eating a spider on there. That's what? a that that is a cooked tarantula. That's wow. disgusting, is what it is. <laughs> and, she did, and, and she did eat it. That yeah. Wow. Okay. We'll she's have to talk. I'm gonna have to counsel that Cam- girl. She's in Cambodia right now. All right. Well, cool. All right. And um, uh, Dave, are you you have an Instagram page set up and all that? Yeah, I do. It's just Dave Dugdale, all one word, um, D-U-G-D-A-L-E, last name. But um, I've only got like four or five photos on there. So <laughs> I feel really embarrassed. I've, Too I've late tried now. To, well, I, the show I, doesn't I, air for a couple of days, so you have some time. I know. I'll add a few, <laughs> a few hundred. Yeah. Dave has four or five more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I do try. I mean, if you look at the timestamps, I'm like, oh, I'll try it. And then I, I don't like it. Maybe maybe you guys just aren't cool because all the cool kids are yeah, posting on Instagram. Possible. I'm that's just saying. Well, there's no <laughs> question about that. I'm definitely not cool. So <laughs> solve that one. I know my cool factor is notching down by the day. I don't know what's going on here. All right, cool. Let's let's move on to uh, story number two, and it's about Nikon introducing or announcing the D5 200. So uh, essentially, they're saying, or some people are saying that this is a consumer. This is like D7000 in consumer in a consumer body, but it's got cool things like wireless transmission. So you can take photos and with a optional adapter that costs 58 bucks, you can take photos and have it shoot them over to your iPhone or iOS or Android device. Um, and c- you can even control the camera from the device, which I know some Canon cameras, you can do that on already. So some of the quickly, some of the specs are, it's, a, it's got a 24.1 megapixel CMOS sensor is five frames per second, a XB three processor, um, ISO 100 to 6400, expandable up to 256 or 25,600, 39 point autofocus. Um, and it's got a cool articulating three inch LCD screen on the back, which I thought was a cool thing. So you can pop it out and uh, do some, maybe some cool video with it. Um, it's got, a, you know, a bunch of stuff like that. So all your, your normal full HD, 1080p, built in stereo mic and all that. And it comes in colors. Wait for it red, black. And bronze. I so, like that red one. That cool. I was checking out that red one. It's like an Iron Man, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bronze That's... one doesn't look appealing at all. <laughs> I know. The bronze one looks old. I would get the red one. I don't know. I like that. Um, I don't know. Dave, you, you, you see these specs. I know you're not a Nikon shooter per se, but these specs, how do these look to you? They tempt you at all? Um, yeah, it's, you know, what I think is really interesting is this, it's got an, if I'm not mistaken, what the research I did, it looked like it's a brand new sensor that has never appeared in any of the Nikon cameras before. So I'm really interested in uh, maybe taking a look at it. 
I did look at a video this morning of a gentleman that got one of these cameras early and did a kind of low, you know, low light test at high ISO. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looked fairly decent, although unfortunately he didn't publish what ISOs he was shooting at during <laughs> the video. So I don't really know, but it, it looked fairly decent. So it, it begs the question, you know, you know, I think you wrote in your, in your notes, um, how does this compare to the D 7,000? Cause mm-hmm. this looks like it's maybe a better camera, yeah. um, especially for video since you got the flip out screen and maybe this <laughs> new, this, this new sensor uh, might be better in low light. I have, I don't know. I'll, and I guess it only takes um, SD cards. Is that correct? Yeah, it's uh, some of the differences compared to the D seven thousand. It's more megapixels, so the bigger sensor's got a smaller viewfinder. But I guess you can compensate by that for that by having that three inch flip out um, display and only one SD card slot and a lower max shutter speed. So one four thousand four thousandths of a second versus one eight thousand. So. I don't know. I don't know, Doug. What about you? Are you? I know you're you're collecting Nikon cameras as as soon as they can release them. Are you? <laughs> is this one going on your shelf? Well, I'm so far. I, I'm going to stick with the one and three digit models. I think for the time being. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's interesting that they compare this to the seven thousand because uh-huh. the projected price has this coming in almost the same price as the seven thousand. So You're like two hundred dollars cheaper or something, right? Well, or maybe even fifty dollars cheaper, depending on what the seven thousand new is twelve hundred bucks now. Right, right. And uh, this somebody said this is going to be eleven fifty. So yeah, you know, it's or really yeah, close. I heard between a thousand and eleven fifty. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's uh, I think it is aimed more at the consumer slash amateur. The you know, it's a it's a totally different set of controls. You have fewer buttons and knobs. You have much more, you know, touch sensitive stuff on the LCD screen now. I mean, they actually, it looks like from what I've seen, they simulate dials that you, you know, swivel with your finger on the screen. Yeah. Um, one thing that's questionable is does it have a, a focus motor so we can use the, uh, the, the, the lenses that don't have uh, motors built in? I don't know about that yet. Mm. Um, but I, it, it looks to me very much like, a camera at the same price level as the seven thousand for somebody who's a far less serious photographer, somebody who. But why? Why far less serious though? I mean, because it it seems highly because capable. It's, yeah, but it's closer to a point and shoot right. because of, because of the the well, a couple of things. One is the lack of controls. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing we like about our big Nikon's is that everything's got a button or a knob, and you don't have to go into a menu system. Yeah, and that's really nice. And this is this is not going to be that way. This is closer to you know, a, a crop sensor point and shoot equivalent, yeah. um, you know, a point and shoot with interchangeable, awesome lenses. Yeah. Um, I do like the articulated screen. Um, I've, you know, I've wanted to have that. I have that a partial, partially articulating one on the Sony NAX7. And, you know, for when you're shooting from a strange angle, like, you know, you've got the camera down on the ground, mm-hmm. but you don't feel like lying down on the ground yourself. Uh, you know, it's really nice. Yeah, um, or if you're like or if you're shooting video, video of yourself, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, I one of the things I know about some of these Nikon bodies I've had is that when the viewfinder is only ninety or ninety five percent, that becomes sort of a nasty problem when you can't really see the whole image. Mm. Uh, but like you said, hopefully the um, the uh, LCD shows you a hundred percent. So, what's, think, what's your you buying know, advice on this one? Um, I don't know that it's a good camera for anybody who listens to this podcast. 
right. Because I, but, and of course, this is you haven't held one yet. You may fall completely in love with the red one when you get it. That's right. On the other hand, you know, and and Dave uh, may feel differently because of the video aspect, which is something I just don't use very much. Yeah, yeah and for me, you know, like the Canon cameras, um, like when the 7D came out, and then it was the T2i, and the T3i, the T4i. The 60D, they all have the same exact um, APS-C sensor. And so for me, you know, and like you're asking, you know, is this a camera to get? My philosophy is I always upgrade on image quality, not on features. So sure, I'd love to have a, a new flip out screen and all that stuff compared to, you know, the crop sensor camera that I have is the T2i. I have the 5D Mark III, but the T2i, I like having it as well as a second camera backup. But the reason I haven't upgraded is because there's no quality difference. But here, it sure seems like this is a brand new sensor. So I would think this is, if you're looking to upgrade, maybe this is the time to do it. This might be the camera for you, especially for video. Yeah, all these all yeah. these camera body releases is just confusing. It's, it, for me, it's just like like when, you, when a new computer comes out, you know, okay, it has this. It's better because it's got a bigger screen or higher resolution screen or it has these ports on it or longer battery life or something like that. But these cameras come out and essentially the optics are the same, right? I mean, and they're playing on the different features of how how many frames per second the thing shoots or if it has HD or not and the, the light sensitivity. And they, they just keep coming out in these different form factors and I'm just trying to get my brain around, okay, yeah. what's a product line that I can follow here? Because <laughs> <What's the, laughs> you come out, because I bought the D7000, and now this comes out, which in many ways is some kind of better than the D7000, but worse in other ways. So I'm like, what's what are they trying to do? I mean, we're, normally when you market something, you build a trajectory or a funnel where, okay, they start at this thing, and then when they are ready, they move to the next one, then they move to the next one, and this is the top end. When they're at the Holy Grail, we want them to buy the D4 or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I don't see a path like that for the Nikon or, you know, less on the Nikon than so, than so on the Canon. Canon has kind of a clear path, but Nikon it seems to be all over the place. It, it is a little confusing, and, you know, to be honest, especially because I've been struggling this with the, the D800 and so forth, 24 megapixels for a consumer camera, let's call it a consumer camera, which you're going to put into, you know, auto or program mode at the best. Yep. Um, you know, that's a, that's a big file size. You know, what are you going to do? You're going to use the Wi-Fi adapter to ship it off to your iPhone? I mean, it's, it's you're going to put it on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a, that's a big file. I mean, I, I, I'm happy to have that on, on my other camera, but, um, you know, my little Sony's got that. My 600 has that, but, um, you know, that's, that's a big file. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's just, let's go through that a little bit. Your, your, we teased it at the beginning of the show, Doug, your, the, your path of bouncing back and forth with your D800E and getting rid of it, then keeping it where, take me quickly through that flow of what happened and why you were upset. And now you're not upset. Oh, I'm still upset. Uh, <laughs> there's a whole thing there. The, you know, I, I had, I was perfectly happy with a D700 and a D7000. Mm-hmm. Sounds like, sounds like you, doesn't it? Yeah, that's me. All right. So I lusted after the D4. The D4 was too expensive. So I bought a used D3S, which I love. That is my favorite camera of all time, my D3S. Um, the D800 came out. I bought an 800. I went for the E model for not a very good reason. And, after I got it, I discovered, A, the files are so big, they slow down my workflow. And B, I happen to have one with the 
autofocus problem. Mm. It's now been eight weeks. The camera's back at Nikon once again, Jeez. hopefully, hopefully oh, to be fixed. Um, Nikon service has been abysmal. Trey Ratcliffe has had yeah. some similar problems. With yeah, it. Could, I saw that article. That. Yeah, and he and I have traded some notes on that. And um, although his his problems are a little different than my current ones, I've also had the problems he has. But the fact is that the D eight hundred is a special purpose camera for most photographers, and uh, I don't think it's a good fit for you know you know run out of the house and take a camera with you. So. Uh, I did buy a 600, and um, I'm looking forward to using it more. Wow. All right. But you're keeping both of them. I, I am for, yes. I'm, yeah. I'm emb- <laughs> almost embarrassed to admit it. But yes, I have <laughs> you know D3. you don't need all that. Come the on. D- the D3S is my favorite camera, but it's, it's so damn big and heavy. And uh, the 800 is my landscape tripod, long exposure camera, and the 600 is what I take when i want to go out and shoot and i just want to have a good time doug, oh, doug i think oh, you're i think wait, you're morphing wait. into scott Bourne. i left I, <laughs> but I forgot. and then and then there's the camera i'm going to shoot with on friday which is my nex7 which i just absolutely love too Gee, see you see i'm gonna start calling you mr Bourne from now that's on it. that's All it right. <laughs> and he's retiring from photography yeah yeah so right. yeah we have to talk to him about that i don't know if i right. agree with that um so, right. anyway um yeah, we'll see about the 5200. It's probably at least a week or two or two early. I'll be on the show next week. Maybe we'll know more about it. Dave, when, you, when you're out and about, and I, I've seen some videos that you shoot when you're like driving in the car and doing all that stuff, what are you shooting those with? That one in the car, like I said before, that, was, uh, that one in the car was just my iPhone. Oh, that was, was the iPhone. Okay. And what's cool about the iPhone, it's got that image stabilization kind of software built into it, which, you know, people are like, how did you do that? I'm like, well, it's just the iPhone. Wow. <laughs> it came did you, did you well. have it on like a little suction cup mount or something? Um, no, I had like this little mini tripod and I just took some gaffer's tape and just gaffed it to the uh, dashboard. Wow. Look it worked that. out fine. Yeah. To the dashboard of the Porsche, man. That's a... That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the minivan. <laughs> Porsche makes minivans now? That's cool. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. So the, before we move on from the story, so the, the NPS thing, I just wanted to touch on that, Nikon Professional Services. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I had that conversation with Trey, and Trey was saying, and he wrote up this long blog post just sort of explaining why he's you know an inch away from being fed up, if not beyond that, with their services and how they were denying him service for, for a piece of gear because it was quote-unquote gray market when he bought it from an authorized retailer, just not inside the United States, and, and little, little things like that. So, Doug, you're, you're saying you had a similar experience with them? Well, I had, I had a... I buy a lot of used gear. So I had a used lens that I didn't even think to ask, but it turned out it was a gray market original lens mm-hmm. sent it to nikon because i had a problem with it wait, wait this, uh, let's define gray market because i keep hearing okay. that term what is gray market is it mean stolen or what? no gray gray market means you purchased it uh from a non-us uh distributor because they tag these things they nikon knows for whom these things are aimed or are target i should say so you you bought a you bought something from Hong Kong. You bought something from Japan. You, you bought something from Canada, and it's still gray market in the U.S. That seems and, kind of that seems kind of I don't know backwards thinking because well, you know, only Trey, the United States is in full color. Everything outside the United States is grayscale. So yeah, and, you know, in, in Trey's case, Trey's. 
Trey bought a lens in New Zealand. Right, where he, he lives. He, yeah, he, he bought it from a Nikon dealer. He paid more for the lens than if he had bought it in the U.S. Mm-hmm. He had a problem with it, sent it to Nikon, and he had the same experience I had, which is um, they sit on it for a while, and you bug them, and they say, oh, that's a gray market lens. We refuse to service it. And then they don't send it back, and you have to you have to hassle them to get the thing sent back, and it takes a couple of weeks just to get your lens back, and they won't fix the damn thing. That sounds like an administrative problem with Nikon rather no, than no, than, it's a it's not. I don't believe so because it happens to m- multiple people. You know, I mean, yeah, and I mean it's it's a a process problem inside of Nikon in in terms of they need to get a hold on all of their gear wherever it happens to appear on the planet and service it. If it's yeah. the, if it's their gear, who cares if they bought it in the US or in China or wherever. If it's not stolen and it's it's legitimate gear that came from the Nikon glassworks and Nikon proper, they made it. So service it. Right? Well, my, I get the impression and I may be wrong about this cuz I've studied it just a little bit to be dangerous, but I think Nikon service in the US is a separate company. Runs by a different set of rules from corporate Nikon. Yeah, but again, but again, who cares? Like as a as a customer, oh, I agree. I don't want to. I don't want to know your dirty laundry. That oh, you know this. You decided to split the company like that up. If it has the Nikon logo on it, it's Nikon. It's all I right. care, right? And service it. Well, they're trying. You know, they're trying to protect their distribution chain. Yeah. Right. They don't want somebody you know buying a fifty two hundred. Uh, from Hong Kong and basically allowing people in Hong Kong to compete or, or in, in Tokyo to compete with U.S. distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand why they're doing it. Uh, it just bugs the hell out of me. Yeah, don't punish don't punish consumers because you you are dealing with backroom stuff. You know, like supply chain issues and all this stuff. All that stuff should be abstracted away from the consumer. When I show up with something that I bought, whether I bought it from. Hong Kong or Australia or New Zealand or whatever, and it's legitimate Nikon gear, and I can prove that it's mine and it's not working properly. Service the thing, you know, yeah, yeah, and handle other, everything else on the back end. You know, I don't want to see anything. You know, on the other hand, you know, the the problems I'm having with the D800E, it's a brand new camera. I bought it at the end of July. Uh, the number of times I have, you know, added something to my service order and gotten an email back saying. Someone will call you within 24 hours, and no one ever has, except for one clerk one time. Um, the quality of service at Nikon right now is abysmal. Hmm. And, um, you know, but that's again, it. I'm going to my iPhone. I'm only going well, to shoot the iPhone. Well, I just, you know, I just don't. Uh, it's frustrating. And I think anybody who depends on their equipment and needs to have it and be able to get it repaired fairly reasonable. Um, needs to take this into consideration. It's an important part of a camera purchasing decision. And my friends who are part of Canon's professional services are having much better luck right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of Canon, Canon announced two new stabilized lenses over the past couple of weeks. One's a 24 to 70 millimeter F4L IS, or image stabilized, and a 35 millimeter F2 image stabilized. So... There's only one person on the show right now that uh, shoots Canon gear. Who is he? Wait, where is he? I'm looking for him. Oh, there he is. Hey, Dave. <laughs> have you uh, have you seen the specs on these lenses? Are these something that are that you were waiting for? Like, oh, finally, the new 24 to 70 IS is out. I'm going to go get that. Well, that's a really good question. Um, your question that you had in the show notes is, you know, would you give up a, a one stop of light or to gain four stops of stabilization? Mm-hmm. And for me, since I'm more of a run and gun type shooter and I'm an available light shooter, which also means I, I'm not very good at lighting. (laughs) 
is I don't want to give up that light. So I, I would, you know, I have a 24 to 70, it's a 2.8. Mm-hmm. Um, but with video, I really need the IS. And I did a shootout between the Canon, the Tamron, and the Sigma a while back when I was purchasing the 24 to 70. And I ended up going with the uh, Tamron because while it's not maybe as sharp, um, you know, picture wise, uh, like at 2.8, you know, at 24 and also at 70, um, it's awfully close, but you get the image stabilization. I think they call it vibration control or something, VC. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, um, but for me, video wise, that sharpness, uh, it, that's becomes harder to tell, um, you know, the Canon versus the Tamron because the Sigma, the Sigma did actually quite well, especially in the upper F stops. What did the Sigma cost? The Sigma was like nine hundred. The Tamron was thirteen hundred, and the Canon was sixteen hundred that I tested. Obviously, that was before the other one came out, which is what twenty three hundred. The uh, the twenty four to seventy two point eight. Yeah. Um, now, when so, you when you test these, Dave, are you are you putting the results on your unlearningdslrvideo dot com? Uh huh. There's a whole video. It's been watched a hundred thousand times already. Awesome. All right. Cool. Well, definitely, we'll link to that in the show notes for this. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a lot of fun doing it, um, and I was going into the you know this test kind of biased because I really wanted the the image stabilization on the Tamron, and I had a friend of mine, um, James Drake, who he does uh, Red Epic services, so they they rent out Red uh, cameras, and he knows a lot more about like cinema glass than I do. Um, so he is, he's, he knows a lot more than I do in terms of glass. So I had him look at it too. And I think we both kind of came to the same conclusion that for video, the Tamron's the way to go if you're looking for a 24 to 70. And I'm, you know, I know there's a lot of people out there, you know, in the primes versus zooms, but if you're a running gun type person, you know, zooms, especially these modern day lenses are really good. You know, I still have a fast 50, which I love using, but doesn't have image stabilization, but, um, Man, I love zooms for the type of stuff that I do because I just I can't stop and swap out lenses all day long. Yeah, yeah. Now, Doug, you mentioned you buy a lot of used gear. Do you buy used lenses as well, or do you pick those? I up do. Too? No, do? I have a lot of yeah. Do you buy 20- do you buy brand name like the the Nikon only, or do you go off brand? Uh, it turns out I buy all Nikon. I did buy one Sigma lens once, um, used, but but I haven't done that for quite a while. And where are you buying these lenses from? eBay? I buy I buy everything on eBay. You buy and sell on eBay, yeah. And I've had I've had really good luck. And my my biggest problem has been selling, not buying and, you know, people not paying. Um, that could be a problem. Yeah, you don't you don't you know, they don't they don't pay, you don't send it out, but that means you just you have to wait until eBay sort of straightens things out, but that's been my only real problem. Other than that, I've bought some very good gear. Wow. Okay. Um, you know, and the twenty-four to seventy is an interesting thing in the Nikon world too, because I've got that Nikon lens as well, which is a beautiful lens. Uh, I don't use it very often. I tend to use things that are either longer or shorter than that. But mm-hmm. people have been waiting for an image stabilized twenty-four to seventy in the Nikon world for years and years and years, and hopefully this will stimulate Nikon to come out with theirs. Um, in the meantime, but Nikon will it be f four instead of two eight? Well, no. I mean, if they don't replace the two eight, then no one's going to buy it. Obviously, for that purpose. But you know, the they've started coming out with a lot of f four lenses. Uh, there's the seventy to two hundred f four, the twenty four to one twenty f four is. I haven't used it, but it's supposedly a great lens. You think you think that's a result of the uh, the higher ISOs? I do. Yeah, I do because 
you know, if you if you don't need that extra stop of uh, of bokeh, you know, you can certainly make up more than a stop with uh, with the high ISO. Yeah. All right. All right, guys, let's move on. Uh, before we continue, I want to thank our sponsor. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by the new Squarespace, and they've officially launched this uh, this new backend um, for, the, for the Squarespace overall, and they call it the new Squarespace. And basically, it's geared towards photographers that want to make portfolios now. So they've got new design templates in there that allow you to drag and drop to build your gallery, a collage, a slideshow, etc., and it's easier to use than ever before or than the previous version. And the cool thing about it, as I've been mentioning on the shows before, that the Squarespace new design creates responsive sites. And responsive means that depend, no matter what's, what kind of device is looking at your site, whether it's a big 27-inch you know, Thunderbolt display or uh, Android tablet or whatever – or you know some some MacBook Air 11 inch, it resizes the content to fit the browser on any device or whatever size. It, it res- not just scales it down so it looks like a postage stamp. It reformats things around so that it's presented properly for that viewing for viewing on that particular device, which is like magic in the design world. So so you can definitely check that out. Um, they've got, like I mentioned, they've got these new templates. They've got the ability for you to import and integrate your social media contents from your blog. The layout engine in there is their page builder engine that allows you to create custom layouts in seconds. Basically, you drag and drop blocks of content like videos, photos, text, etc. around the page, and then you populate it with content. So tons of support, 24-7, all this good stuff, all in a drag and drop interface. So if you want to try it out, you can just head over to squarespace.com slash twip and start your trial and use the offer code twip11 that's twip11 and you'll get a full 10% discount once again that's squarespace.com slash twip all right gents we're going to move on to the uh actually i want to throw an interview in here this is the interview i did with uh, model jesse deol d-e-o-l um, I mispronounced her name in the beginning, but it's Jessie Diol. And uh, she gives perspective, the model's perspective, from how it is to deal with us photographers on Model Mayhem and some do's and don'ts when you're trying to find pretty faces online to take pictures of. So give this a listen. I'm speaking with Miss Jessie Diol. She's a, a model. She does a lot of things, but one of the things that she does... Um, is she models, and that's the way that I met her. I photographed her once already, and uh, during that session, I asked her if she would be willing to talk about her experiences just in the whole modeling industry and with Model Mayhem in particular for this audience. So Jesse agreed to jump on Skype with me and talk through this stuff and, and give us an insider perspective into the mayhem world of models. So, hey, Jesse, how you doing? Hey Frederick, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm um, I'm doing pretty good. So let's let's jump right in. Let's let's start from the beginning from your background. You have a pretty interesting background. Like you used to beat people up and stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I still do that. You still beat people up. And you're like how much you weigh? You're like like 120 pounds or something, right? You're little. Um, I aspire to be I weigh less than 100, but it's all muscle, so it's, it's all, okay. So <laughs> it's so you just, you know, you wield it like a weapon. So tell us tell us about that a little bit. Well, I've been doing Krav Maga since I was in high school, and what that is, it's the Israeli self-defense system, 
I got into it while I was really young, and it's great because it teaches you a lot of self-discipline. And I am very small-framed, so it's great for me because it teaches you just anything that comes at you, knives, guns, big people, you know, getting out of chokes. And um, one of my roommates used to describe it as a ninja, ninja mode. But if you ever have time, you should look into it. It's great. I've also done Muay Thai, but Krav Maga is... Hands down, the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. And then w- when we were talking before, you told me that the people at the, uh, I know they don't call them a dojo, but the training center where you were doing that are actually, were afraid of you, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, because they always say, uh, my instructor, Mr. Ryan Bowser, he used to always say, this because I just started going back to them, and he's been telling everybody oh, we used to have this girl, this 90-pound girl who punches like a 200-pound man. So <laughs> when I went in there, when I went back after X amount of years, I had to, you know, be my best since I was on the spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then, so just background-wise, you were telling me you come from a family of physicians and, and you kind of had some pressure to to go into that that area in your life, but you're you're moving a little bit towards, or you're moving towards modeling, Tell me about that. Like, tell me what was the pressure to go into medicine and why are you deciding to sort of move in the other direction? Well, generally, coming from an East Indian background, my parents are not actually physicians, but in my family, my uncle's a veterinarian. One of my uncles, or two of my uncles are um, doctors. And since I was younger, I wanted to be a vet and my uncle has his own practice, so since I was probably three, everyone assumed I would be filling in the place and become a vet. So I got accepted to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo right after high school. And I was out there in the fields with the livestock doing things that I don't regret, but I wish I hadn't done. And <laughs> it just, it just wasn't for me. And I, and one of the things is you don't really know what you want to do until you go out there and you try a lot of different things. And generally modeling and whatnot, it's really taboo or looked down upon in the East Indian community because it's not something people are proud of, I guess you can say, because women are not given the same privileges or rights as men. And you're, there's a lot of standards you have to be held up to. So I realized that it was a great outlet because I don't always consider myself a model. I consider myself a hustler because <laughs> I'm always trying to do, you know, whatever I can to get my message out there to, you know, be independent and whatnot. But I realized through modeling, you can gain an audience. You can get power to do, to spread knowledge, basically. And that's my goal. That's why I want to do this, because by gaining an audience, I can get a message out, which mine is to promote positivity, a better media image, because the media is full of so much negativity these days, and just promote health and happiness, because when it comes down to it, those are the things that people need the most. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's great. So let's 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 dive into the modeling side of it, right? So you... You know, through through adversity, I wouldn't say adversity, but against other people's wishes, right? So you moved into the modeling space and signed up on Model Mayhem, um, which is where we connected. Tell me about about that experience, because you've you've shot with a number of photographers on there, 
And I hear a similar theme from several different models and photographers about the experience on Model Mayhem. I want to get it from your mouth specifically, from the model's mouth, right? So how how has Model Mayhem been for you, good and bad? Generally, overall, I've had mostly pleasant experiences. But I think that's because when I go about working with somebody, I try to get more background on them. Mm-hmm. And... I would have to say when I initially signed up on it a few years back, it was a lot um, better, I guess, than it has become now because I know it's, I feel as if it's easier to be a quote unquote photographer on it now and just do time for credit pictures and you don't always get real photographers, if you know what I mm-hmm. mean. Yeah, yeah. We call those the GWCs, the guy, the guy with camera. <laughs> yeah, you know, you show up to a shoot and the guy has a camera phone or something. <laughs> you haven't have you done that? Have you showed up and no. guys like, "All right, you ready?" and he whips out his iPhone no, or something? No. <laughs> no, definitely not. But I mean, you can usually tell if you go through the person's portfolio and you can tell if they're a real artist or if they're just a creep. Basically, I guess right. that's what it comes down have you, to. Have you had any experiences with creeps where guys kind <laughs> of lured you out there and then and then try to date you or something? Um, I'd have to say that, you know, it's always a possibility, but I usually stop that through the messages Mm -hmm. because you can get a feel for it. If you're smart about it, I think you can really prevent that until you get out there. And then, you know, there's some photographers you work with and there's no chemistry and it's kind of awkward, but they're not, you know, they don't make you uncomfortable, which is fine. But I know a lot of girls who have had bad experiences, especially when you're new and you don't know because... I remember when I first got into it, um, Model Mayhem wasn't too big, but I did go through Craigslist, and you can imagine the nightmares of that, but nothing ever bad happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're lucky. Say. You're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, take me take me through it from, the, from, from beginning to end, right? So say, you know, you have your profile up. By the way, for people who are listening, what, what's your name on Model Mayhem if they want to look you up? It's Miss Bay Area. Miss Bay Area, all one word, right? I believe so. It might be separate, but it would. I'm the only one, so I'm sure it shows up. Okay, all right. So Miss Bay Area. So someone does a search. They're looking for a model in in the local area that fits a certain sort of height and and nationality and all that, and they find you, right? They send you a message. What what happens? How to how, take me through the flow from the initial contact all the way through to you, you have photos in your hand. Okay. Well, that doesn't always work as planned, Mm -hmm. but I always try my best. Initially, usually I'll respond to a casting call or somebody will contact me and I go through at least 10 messages back and forth to get an idea of what they want. And I'll ask, where's the location? And I always try to make it a public setting. Most of my shoots are outdoors unless I know the person. Mm -hmm. And I always take an escort, which I recommend for everybody, unless you, unless you know the person, of course, ask the wardrobe. So you know exactly what you're wearing, if they're providing it or if you're providing it and there's no confusion, the compensation, because I don't work for free, but I know some people think they'll get paid and they don't. And I don't like that confusion, so everything's always better in writing. Yep. And basically, I ask them, what what's their primary occupation? So I know, are they doing this for fun? How serious are they? How serious do I need to be at this shoot? Mm-hmm. And 
I guess from there, I usually go out and see what they're about. So the so it sounds like the bottom line is communication and research, right? Do your do your Definitely. homework before you put yourself in harm's way, um, which could potentially happen, right? So you're a pretty girl. If you show up to a shoot in some remote location with a person that you met online, that's a recipe for a disaster. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But on my page, I'm pretty sure it says that I'm trained in Krav Maga five plus years. So I think that's usually enough to scare them off if they know what it is. Yeah, you're but, like, I will walk away with your windpipe if you mess with me. Right? <laughs> and your wallet. <laughs> and your wallet. <laughs> and yes. your camera and everything. You'll wake yeah. up wishing and you I had touched me. I will sell that on Model Mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. That's awesome. Okay, so so say it goes as planned. You know, you, you, you've done your research. You get the photographer. He's a stand-up guy. Knows what he's doing. You do the shoot. Lasts for what? Maybe an hour, two hours, roughly? Yeah, generally an hour and a half, two hours, depending on what it is. Because I do a lot of fitness shoots. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll work with photographers who are still learning their equipment and whatnot. But I have enough patience to do that. And I'll go into two hours. And then what are, what are they paying you? Do you charge by the hour or is it by the shoot? How does that work? Yeah, I charge by the hour and usually I charge between 50 to 75 per hour and then 25 for preparation, travel, whatnot. Because honestly, I know a lot of models charge more. And if I had that much that many photographers working with me, I guess I would too. But generally, I don't think it's something that if you're doing it for the love of the sport, I guess you can say, it'll work for a reasonable amount. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then you go out there, and payment is up front or after the shoot? <sighs> now that I think of it, I should be taking it up front. I would. <laughs> I, would I would, you know, have them PayPal it to you before you even leave the house. <laughs> Yeah, but then the photographer's always worried about, is this model going to flake? Because right. I know that happens a lot, too. Well, that's what I want to talk about, because that, that's one of the issues. And I brought that up in the interview I did with the Model Mayhem guys, was just the whole, the whole, that's one of the, from my perspective, that seems to be one of the major problems on Model Mayhem, just getting models to commit to, and photographers, right? To Or just getting all parties, including the makeup artists, to commit and show up at a set time, at a set, at a set location. What mm-hmm. advice would you give? I mean, you're you're on the model side of it. What advice would you give to photographers that are that hey, they're they're in it, you know, they want to they want to get they want to work with a model, they set the location, they do their homework. Some of them take time off of work so they can go out and do this and models don't show up. How do you how do you how do you avoid that? This does happen a lot and the thing with that is you might want to check credits or people they've previously worked with because most of the time, I don't think this is most of the people's full-time job. Mm-hmm. And, of course, once the day comes, they might be feeling like, oh, I'm lazy. And if it's Saturday morning, you know, or like, Sunday morning. Oh, I'll just morning, blow it off, whatever. Yeah, yeah, Sunday or Saturday morning, a lot of people might go out and party and not do it. So I would think that Saturday and Sunday mornings are probably not good days to shoot in general. Unless you know the person, because there's a high chance of them flaking. Yeah, yeah. Now, tell me, have you had any horror stories working with photographers that it just just went horribly wrong, and you're like, oh, what was I thinking? Or have they all been positive? Generally, all positive, luckily. And I guess I wouldn't want to share anything at this moment about any horror stories. (laughs) Hey, I want to know the horror. People want to know the good and the bad, Jesse. Come on. (laughs) 
Well, you know, I just walked away from it, but I know that I'll share a story that I heard via another photographer okay. who was asking me about this. Perfect. He told me that he had this girl who was new to modeling. She had signed up to work with some photographer. She wasn't working with an agent or anything. And she goes out and the guy says, all right, um, so this is a massage table. And there's a number of different guys in this shoot, by the way. And Mm -hmm. she was aware of that, but she didn't know exactly what she was doing. And he just says, all right, so take off your clothes. And there's five or eight, five to seven guys here who are just, you know, and it's like a massage table. And he says, oh, no. oh, it's implied. But luckily, the girl walked away because I think if somebody if you walk into something and the guy says, take off your clothes now, yeah, I think you should walk away. And that goes back to what you were saying earlier about do your homework before you go out there. Make sure that you and the photographer are on the same page as to what the expectations are for this shoot. Don't just show up there with some vague, you know, idea. You should, you should know who's going to be there, how many photographers, is there a makeup artist there, is there a stylist there, everything. You know, Definitely. how are the shots going to be used? Who's, are you going to sign a model release? You should know all this stuff before you even get in the car and turn it on, right? Yes, yes. And another thing that I forgot to mention is I always ask what's the feel of the shoot so I know exactly what they're doing with it and where they're going to see if it matches up what I want mm-hmm. to be put out there because that's really important. And this poor girl, she went, supposedly she went unescorted and yeah. I know if walking away from a situation, that's a lot of pressure and some people, you know, they won't know what to do and they'll do it and then they'll spend, you know, forever regretting it. So mm-hmm. the rest of your life, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So which in that situation could have been a very short period of time, depending on how it went down. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Especially on the Internet now, you know, everything will pop up. Yeah, I think, you know, in, in a court of law, it's innocent until proven guilty. I think in a court of model mayhem, it should be guilty until proven innocent. Uh, definitely. That should... <laughs> and it definitely. For photographers, I think that is the way it yeah. should go. Yeah, I think just for... Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a good rule of thumb. Yeah. So let's talk about Miss Bay Area. That's your name on Model Mayhem, Miss Bay Area. What What's behind that name? I think it might also be Miss Barry Jesse the Ol. I'm not positive, but right. while you're talking, I'm going to look it up. But go ahead. What's okay. behind Miss Bay Area? Basically, I'm campaigning for Donald Trump's Miss California, and I've claimed the title Miss Bay Area. So instead of being a single city, I cover the entire Bay Area, and I wanted to do that because I grew up here, and I've although I was in California, I was back and forth all the time. I love San Francisco. I love Oakland. Just Everywhere in the Bay Area has so much culture and diversity, and I wanted to encompass that. That's why I chose that title, so I could reach out to a wider audience rather than just one city. Yeah, yeah. And so, so tell me about this this contest. What, what, is, what is it? When does it happen? And what do you win? Or is it just title only? I believe this... Um, they don't have all of the information set permanently, but it's happening the weekend of January 11th, 2013, this mm-hmm. upcoming year. Mm-hmm. And if you win the title of Miss California, then you go on to Miss uh, Miss USA. And then if you win that, you go to Miss Universe. So it's a series. It's aired on NBC. I'm pretty sure it's the popular pageant. And then where is it going to be on television? Is it an internet-only thing? Or how's no, that work? it will be aired on NBC. 
Okay. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's the Donald Trump one. So it's the famous one. By the way, I'm looking at your profile right now on Model Mayhem, and it is Miss Bay Area, all one word. <clears throat> we'll get you to it. And let's see, if you're on Model Mayhem right now, who's listening to this, they can find you. Your Model Mayhem number is 262-4969. So modelmayhem.com slash 262-4969 will get you to Jesse's profile. You can check out her work there. So so how is that going, the Miss Bay Area stuff? Are you, what? what's left for you to do? A lot. <laughs> you're like oh a lot (laughs) so much i can't even begin to explain because i got into this i passed the pre-screening interviews last december i believe and um earlier this year this has been a really rough year for me because um my grandmother passed away so Mm. i'm just getting back into the swing of things and it was my brother's wedding also so I have everything to do. I did one volunteering project so far, and I raised over $500 for a local animal shelter, which was really great because I do love animals still, although I did not become a vet. And I want to do more charity work with this, but right now my priority is gaining sponsorship because I do need to pay off the entry fee. I need to get address, swimwear, and interview clothes. And just in general, there's a lot of costs that come with doing something like this. And I'm building my fan base on Facebook. So if anybody wants to like my page, I would really appreciate it. It's Miss Bayaria, Jesse Leal. And I've been doing a lot of blogging because, like I said, my whole goal is to just promote positive energy and make people happier and healthier. Yeah. Have a better outlook on life. So you're you're moving towards that. What's the deadline? Like your next? What's your next milestone? There, it's just the competition, I guess. That's coming up. They don't give you too many. Yeah. Not that I know of. There's an orientation, but there's not a set date, and it's just rough for me because being Indian, it's it's a lot harder than it seems because they have the Indian communities very tight knit, and although I tend to keep away from it, they have the aunties as they call them which is any indian mother who's stay at home and whatnot and they just love to talk and they will turn little things into big things and make things that are nothing into something so (laughs) i think i think every nationality (laughs) has aunties i think (laughs) oh if you if you know enough indians and if there's any indians out there they know that they no it's much more extreme on you know, if it was a Richter scale, this would be a 10.0 earthquake really? <laughs> on the Richter scale. It's horrible. You can be at the mall and, you know, an auntie will see you and call up your mom and tell you were with so-and-so or you were with a guy because you're not so sick. Oh, wow. It's, have an, relationships. it's an underground network. It's like the <laughs> the auntie Illuminati out there or something. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea. It's horrible. But, you know, my parents are pretty open they've been here for a long time and i'm not doing anything wrong and i know there's i've been getting a lot of people saying stuff already about me and i just try not to let it bug me because i'm going for a greater goal to help people and maybe overcome these types of issues especially right right because that's why you don't see indian women in the media or on tv and stuff because it's not 
it's not something people are proud of if their daughter's you know a tv hostess or something if they're a doctor then it's like whoa you hit the jackpot <laughs> i didn't know that wow yeah. Well, cool. So let's let's uh, let's wrap it up and sort of get an idea. You mentioned your Facebook profile. Are you on Twitter and Facebook? And uh, where where can people find you online? Yes. So I'm on Facebook. As I mentioned, it's Miss Bay Area Jesse Diol. I'm on Twitter, which is Miss Bay Area Cali, and I have a blog, which is um, on WordPress. I think it's just Jesse Diol. Or if you type in Google Jesse Diol WordPress, it should pop up. And that's Jesse D E O L. In case yes. people, very cool, awesome. Well, Jesse, thank you for taking the time out of your evening. I know it's late; it's uh, it's about nine o'clock as we record this. Yeah. And uh, so, thank you for taking the time out. I know you're busy; you got lots of stuff to do. But this has been really informative, and uh, I I'm pretty sure lots of models out there and the photographers will get a better idea of how to. You know, the care and feeding of a model shoot, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> how, to, how to do it the right way and what not to do. So thank you very much. Thank you. All Have right. a good night. You too, Jessica. Okay, that was Jessie Deal. We'll put links to all of her presences as well as her model, may- model Mayhem profile in the show notes for this episode. But definitely check her out, leave her a comment, and uh, tell her you heard about her on This Week in Photo. All right, let's move on to some listener Q&A. This is the segment where we answer questions that have been at the top of some of the TWIP listeners' minds. The question number question number one is from Ira Lee. And Ira writes, on several of your podcasts, I've heard you mention the red camera. I went to their website, and all I saw was a lot of really, really, really expensive video gear. I'm a still <laughs> shooter, so I was a bit confused as to what's so exciting about this particular camera. Am I missing something? Dave. What is Ira missing? <laughs> I got to shoot with one, um, and and it is a lot of fun to shoot. But actually, the more exciting part is when you're doing the post-processing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like editing in Lightroom because Lightroom is just a blast because your images are raw. And, you know, shooting with a DSLR for video, it's kind of like JPEG. Everything's baked in. Your white balance, you, everything is just baked in. You know, the processor does all that stuff, and you can't uh, undo stuff. Basically, mm-hmm. like if you 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 shot on a standard picture style and you just crush the blacks, uh, all the you know the the really dark parts of the image are like all at zero. You can't bring that back. Um, and but with Lightroom, you can. So. With the red, it's awesome because you can do all sorts of cool stuff like change the color temperature later. You know, you can change the contrast. You can eat with the most mind-blowing part of it is you can even change the ISO. I still can't get my head around that one, but I don't know how that works exactly. But you can change the ISO later, which is just insane. Yeah, but what what, what are we paying for this, this magical ability? Now, here's the thing. They just, the, the Sony came out with, two i think two raw video cameras i think it's the f5 and the f55 last week or something like that and then um so red um came out and said okay if they're coming out with these cameras we're gonna slash our prices and you can get a a 4.5k uh video camera uh it shoots raw it's called the red one mx i believe and it's four thousand dollars now mm. And I wow. think that's just for a limited time, and that price is probably going to go what back. Are, what are they normally? Bit. What are they normally like? Ten k or something? 
Well, they they run the gamut. There's like the ones that like Peter Jackson is using to you know film the Hobbit at uh, like fifty, sixty grand, I believe. Right, right. Um, I don't know these numbers off the top of my head, but there's there's different levels. Like the Scarlet, I think, is in the sixteen to twenty mm-hmm. grand range. Because by the time you add like the recording module and a whole bunch of other stuff, it's you know it gets a lot more expensive. But the, do, know, they, do photographers like like this guy Ira Ira Lee said he's primarily a still shooter. Should he even care about the red at all? Well, if he's a still shooter, no. Yeah. I, you know, because it's shooting raw, right? And each frame yeah. is raw. So presumably you could go in and yank a frame out of there and you have a you have a raw image that you can play with, right? Yeah. And there's another raw camera that's even cheaper than that that just came out. Um, it's called uh, Blackmagic Cinema Camera. Mm-hmm. And it's $3,500. And it shoots three – oh, gosh, I'm going to probably get this wrong. I think it shoots – 3.5k i can't remember i'm gonna probably get that wrong but um that one's even even cheaper but although it's on a like a micro four thirds kind of uh sensor um but that one also shoots raw so there's it's coming out there the prices are coming down and i think you know companies like canon are going to have to bring down some of their prices on some other cameras like the c 300 and stuff like that that are in like the 15 grand range i believe um so they'll have to answer some of this. There's all these raw cameras that are coming out from these other manufacturers. Now, do you have you have reviews of of this hardware on your site? The red. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a video showing um, the video that I did, and it was a whole walkthrough. Uh, this person, James Drake, has this rental company, gave me an entire walkthrough of how to use the camera, and I show how I I, I post processed some of the stuff. Yeah, it's all on my. On my site, I can put a link in the show notes if you like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll link over to that. I'd love to see that too. All right, next question is from Robert O'Hull. Robert writes, I'm an avid hiker. I'm looking for something other than a laptop to take with me to download my CF cards to. Weight and space are definitely a priority. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Um, Mr. K, what do you think about this? What should, uh, Mr. What should Mr. Hull do in terms of being able to outflow his CF cards while in the field? That's a, it's a good question. It's something that's changed uh, a lot in the last couple of years. I've got a gadget that I used to use a lot, which is a hyperdrive. Um, it's called a hyperdrive, a color space UDMA. And this is, in my case, I've got a 320 gig one. You can get them up to a terabyte, I think. And, you know, you can just basically plug your CF cards or your SD cards in, in, into them and offload them to a disc and uh, away you go. Uh, However, if I were a hiker, I, I assume, let's assume for the moment that what he wants to do is just to have a, a backup copy of things mm-hmm. and that his goal is not to, um, or that he wants to, you know, he wants to free up his cards. Today, I wouldn't buy one of these things. I would just buy more cards because mm-hmm. on a per gigabyte basis, you know, your car, your cards are cheaper than buying hard drives. You can buy, you know, CF cards and SD cards for well less than a dollar a gigabyte. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure why. And also if I'm hiking. But if he wants to back up, like he wants to have two yeah. copies, right? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, that's, that's, then you'd have to either get something like the hyperdrive. Uh, there's another one that's really popular out there called the Wolverine. Wolverine has something called the pick pack. Um, oh, these names are killing me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can get the, you can get the Wolverine pick, pick pack. I'll tell you about more about it in a second. And you can get those, you know, up to a gigabyte, I think. Uh, sorry, a terabyte as well. You can get big disk drives. Um, of course, if I had a body that had two slots, I would simply do my backups in mm. the camera from one slot to the other, or I'd shoot with two. And what I would do, if I'm, if I'm hiking, 
My really biggest concern is water, is getting things wet. Mm -hmm. So I would take my cards. I'd put one set in a baggie, a Ziploc baggie. I'd have one of my other other hikers carry my cards, and I'd carry his second cards, and that would be my backup. Um, that would be the best thing. But if you don't have two slots, so you can't copy cards, you can get a hyperspace or a Wolverine. The Wolverine's a problem for a hiker because the battery is really small. And you need an, you need an AC power if you're going to copy more than a you know 32 gig card. It, it runs out of power pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah I was looking online because uh, I'm really interested in this question myself because I've run into the situation where I wanted to do backup out in the field, and I was looking at that Wolverine today. Um, I was reading some of the online reviews, and you're talking about the battery. A lot of people are saying it's great, but the battery dies about after you do one card. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's the that's thing useless. you don't want to, yeah. it's. It's eight ounces, so it's it's pretty light, but right. you don't want to bring the charger. You don't want to weigh your down, yourself down even more, so um, the battery's got to be good, and it's got to be able to last quite right. a while. So the, the hyperspace color drives, um, I think they they say their battery's good, charge is good for about two hours, and in two hours, you can copy a lot of stuff. You want to make sure you don't use it to preview your images, because once you start looking at things on the LCD, you just burn through the batteries much more quickly. Yeah. But I've used it. I've, I've, you know, it's been, I took it to Kenya. I used it all over Kenya. I used it in Egypt. Um, but um, first choice, extra cards, if you could have a way to get from from one card to another. Yeah, buy, buy a camera with two card slots in there and, and set it to backup or mirror, yep. right? Yep. Very cool. All right, gents, let's move on to the picks of the week. This is the uh, segment where you guys can pick anything to recommend to the listeners as long as it is somehow related to photography. Doug, what is your pick of the week? Well, my pick of the week is something that will be uh, a, sort of obvious to Dave and people who shoot video. Um, my pick of the week is to encourage still photographers to do manual focusing using live view on their camera. Hmm. Now, this is particularly for uh, tripod-based shots. So rather than using autofocus, uh, put your camera on your tripod, go to live view, learn how to zoom in in live view, open your lens up as wide as it'll go, and really get sharp, sharp focusing. Remember, when you do that, you're using your sensor to focus, not the autofocus sensor. So you're actually getting a much more accurate focus than you're going to get even with autofocus. Um, and along with that, if you're in any kind of challenging light conditions, either very light or very dark, um, I really recommend something like, and again, Dave will be able to correct me on what the best gadget here is, but, um, you know, there's like the Zacuto thing, which is pricey, the Zacuto eyepiece, but you can also get uh, a Hoodman Loop uh, or a one that I really like, which is the LCD VF viewfinder. And this is one where you um, put a little a little magnetic ring on your LCD viewfinder, and this thing snaps on and off, and it's really sort of nice to use. But uh, manual focus with your live view uh, is something that I recommend as my pick of the week for all still photographers. But I I want to hear what Dave has to say about it. Well, actually, I one of the first ones I did is I did a DIY project where I created one, and you can see it on my website. It's just a baby powder. Um, container you cut and then you go out to um, buy these little tiny lenses they're really cheap and then you find which one matches your eye and then you cut it down to the point where it looks right so and then you paint it black and you could you actually see it it cost me like five bucks to make and it works really good and then 
Um, I used that on my TTY and then my 5D Mark III. I went out and bought um, Carry Speed has a new one. Um, and I tested the Zacuto uh, when it first came out, and it, yeah, it's really pricey. I, I this Carry Speed is the same quality as a Zacuto. Um, it, it appears to be, uh, and it's really rugged, and it flips up too if you um, want to get it out of the way. Um, and it's not that you don't have to put any sort of magnetic type thing on the back of your uh, uh, sc- around your screen. Um, so the carry speed is definitely an option. Or if you're really short on cash, you can go to my website and watch me build one. I um, like the DIY yeah. stuff. I'm a fan of it. Yeah. Oh, I should also throw in one last thing. Hoodman Loop, one of the best $20 things I've ever purchased is the the bungees, the little rubber bands that you can add to the Hoodman Loop to hold it onto your camera. Mm. Uh, 1995 or something like that. For it that. just sort of straps it, it on there. It just yeah, you just think it because you know having yeah. it around your neck is sort of a pain. If you if you put one of these eyepieces on your LCD, you're, it's it's like watching a video, looking through a video camera or, or or a medium format camera. It's pretty nice. Very cool. All right, Dave, do you have a pick of the week for us? Yes, I do. Canon's got some really sweet deals in terms of refurbished cameras. And this past week, I ended up buying one because I get I get. I'm on their newsletter or email alerts um, that they send out. And I picked up a Canon T3i with really low uh, shutter count actuations. Um, and I picked it up for $384. The camera, brand new, goes for uh, $700 right now. And uh, this one is like brand new. I mean, there's no scratches on it or anything. And I talked to the customer service rep, and I said, you know, how many actuations do they have? Is well, we don't know. I can't look at all of them, but I can tell you that you know they get restocked or they go out for testing. They come back. Um, they're hardly ever used. Um, and she was right. When I got it, it was like this thing looks. There's not a scratch on this thing. It looks wonderful. And uh, after I'm, I'm going to be using it for one of my training courses. And after I'm done with, I'll probably sell it. Um, maybe more for what I got it for because that was a, a really good deal. So you should watch out for those deals or sign up for their newsletter. And I'll try to put a link in. Uh, where you can sign up for that stuff. Very cool. Awesome. Two very good picks. All right, I have a pick that is kind of related to photography. You could use it for photography. But um, both of you, do both of you guys have iPhones? Yeah. All right, so there's a new... Or, well, there's Google has had the search app for a while, but they just updated it recently. Um, and it's much more Siri-like, um, but even for phones that don't have the capability of doing Siri... And it is amazing how fast this thing is. Let me let me demonstrate. I want to I want to just do it right now. Check this out. I'm gonna hit that. I have the app installed on my iPhone 4s. I'm gonna hit the button and ask it something. Let's see. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? A woodchuck would chuck as much wood as a woodchuck could chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that? It is. It is fast. I've tried it. It'll actually like the text will start populating on the screen. Yeah, as it's you like talk. as I talk, it's it's dictating what I talk into the screen here. Check this out. What's the weather like in San Francisco right now? It's fifty-seven degrees and mostly cloudy in San Francisco. It, it, check it out. It'll even do math. What's this? What's seven hundred times forty-two? The answer is twenty-nine thousand four hundred. Isn't that cool? I mean, it's just like fast and compared. Fast. Well, Siri's yeah. good too, but Siri, there's a there's. It seems like it's much more sluggish than that in terms of the delay because you have to hit it, then it comes up, and then it says, "Okay, I'm searching for the weather in San Jose." 
here are your results instead of just telling you right as soon as you finish saying it it just pops up and i've been using this thing all day and it's just fantastic even over um you know non wi-fi environments it's just fast as all get out so and it's free so definitely check it out Hey, I got to give you a hard time on this one because this is not photography related. Is it is it? photography related. You know why? <laughs> it's photography related because you can do calculations and you can calculate the inverse square law using. <laughs> 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 so it's photography. Besides, I'm the host. I can break the rules. Can you, can you, will, it, will it solve hyperfocal distance problems? If you know how to ask it, I'm sure it could do it. <laughs> But yeah, but the cool part of part is it, the cool thing is it's free. You can just download and put it on your app. And I know Android users have had this forever um, or a similar capability forever. But now we we have it on iOS too. So now the world has it. So it's very cool. The rest of the world. All right, guys, we are at the end of another episode of TWIP. We just closed out TWIP two hundred and eighty. So where can uh, Dave? Where can people go to find out more about you, the stuff you're working on, and all that good stuff? Learning DSLRvideo.com. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Google Plus. All those links are on my my site, Learning DSLR Video. Very cool. All right. And Mr. Doug K, what about you? Where are you at? Uh, if you go to Doug K, K A Y E dot com, that's my profile site. But at the bottom, there's a menu there and you can get to uh, Google Plus, which is where I hang out, as well as my blog and other things. Very cool. And also, I want to remind the listeners, um, if you want to check out the Essential Web Marketing for Photographers course that I put out there and get that $50 off discount code, just go to EssentialWebMarketing.com slash TWIP and use the offer code TWIP for 50 bucks off. And uh, if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. Also, please support this show by leaving us a comment on iTunes and also check out the TWIP podcast app while you're over there. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.